Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. Welcome to another week of the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're excited to be here today with Kylie Chen from Akinella and Wander Camp. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited <laughs> to learn more about the company she's running. I thought it was just Akinella, and then I spent like the last 15 minutes learning all about Wander Camp. So to get us started, let's get the 30 second or 30 second on both, so maybe 60 seconds, on what you're working on right now. Yes. So the first company I started, a Canela Expedition, started in 2015, was a fresh graduate from BYU, um, is an international travel company. So I've always loved to travel. Um, I backpacked a lot when I was a university student on a very small budget. And I decided when I graduated that I wanted to take my passion and start a business. I was a little different than most entrepreneurs. I didn't wasn't really focused on making money. I just wanted to do what I loved. And you know, over the course of several Which years. Which is a great place to start yeah. a, lot, a lot of times, right? Yeah. And I guess a lot of entrepreneurs do start with that in mind. And I think it's so important to be passionate um, because it gets really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew that, um, still run it today. Um, we, you know, grew it and um, had, we have a team and everything. Um, it got hit pretty hard with COVID. <laughs> this is where Wander Camp comes into the play. So obviously 2020, we all know that international travel all came to a halt, never thought that was going to happen. We were going into our best year. It was going to be our fifth year of operation in 2020. And I was in Bangladesh at the time with the group and, you know, uh, international travel shut down. So that was very, very hard time. However, um, that was the launch of Wander Camp. So we've been able to bounce back with Akinella now. And during that hard year of 2020 that we thought wasn't going to last forever, um, we decided to pivot and start offering experiences in the U.S. because Akinella is focused on international travel. Um, and so we launched Wander Camp, which really at the beginning was just um, like wandering to uh, glamping tours. So we bought a fleet of tents, we moved them around, and we would operate them like tours, which is what we do on the Akinella side. And um, that eventually over time kind of spun into permanent glamping locations. We have seven now outside seven national parks where we own the land, we own the whole operation. and. It's grown to be even bigger than a Canela. So it's really interesting to run these two two companies in the travel space, but very different. One, essentially hotels, and the other, um, tours or expedition-style trips. I kind of skipped that part. It's hard to tell the elevator pitch for two companies back-to-back, but a Canela is essentially multi-country trips. So over the course of a couple weeks, you're moving across countries and places to visit a lot of different really cool things. Wow. Yeah. What a cool example of a pivot. I mean, you pivoted into something that grew even bigger than the original company. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's awesome. What so what um so Akinella, just so our le- our our listeners understand a little bit more about what that is. You mentioned it's it's jumping from country to country doing tours or is it seminars or is it educational? Maybe help us understand a little bit yeah. more about what that is. And maybe um, what the name means too. Pivots. I don't know what the name is either. Yeah. I have a hard time explaining this company now, now that I've done a lot. But um, so we started out actually doing solely culinary tours. 
a canela is Latin for cinnamon. So um, I had had a lot of travel experiences, saw that there was kind of this niche of people who love to travel for food. So we did our first trips to like India, um, Southeast Asia, um, Peru, Europe, all these different places. And then that eventually grew when I realized that's a very small niche market and I became a little bit more business savvy that there were a lot of other niches we could get into. Adventure travel, hiking like Kilimanjaro and um, Everest Base Camp. So we started to really branch off and have all these different niches and, you know, hosted thousands of trips a year. So not just trips that I was going on, that's how it started. Um, But usually they're seven to 10 days in length, visiting one to four countries, group sizes of as few as four up to 16. So small group expedition style travel. Hmm. Yeah, mostly overland. Do they sign up as a group? Or they can sign up as an individual. You Both. just book the trip and like, who wants to go? Yep. So we started out just individuals booking. Then we had groups approach us. We've done a lot for university, BYU, um, Utah Valley, a lot of different universities around the country. And we also started getting into corporate travel. Um, corporate travel isn't always a great fit for us because we do like to focus on that more high adventure. But as you know, people are looking for diverse experiences. We've been able to do a lot of really cool stuff in that space. So really we're kind of a hybrid. People think of us as like a travel agency, but because we like have our own guides and we build our own itineraries, we operate more like a tour operator. So we're kind of like a hybrid. Hmm. It's a very fun, dynamic, interesting space for sure. What a cool company. Yeah. Is that... Do you have the group smaller by design just so it's a more intimate type of setting? Is that why? Unless it's a university or a corporate group or a family group, we can do much larger. I think Mm -hmm. we've done up to 500, but it's definitely a different experience than your 16. So our sweet spot um, and how I love to travel, which is probably why the company, this is our sweet spot, is really that 6 to 16 um, space where you can really get immersed. You can have the dining experiences with the locals. You can you know, do the glacier walks, all sorts of cool things. So so when someone finishes out the trip, what do they, they come back with a sense of the foods of the area and or a cool adventure they can talk about that was unique? Is that kind of the the whole goal? Um, Cultural immersion, connection with locals, culinary experiences, um, elements of high adventure, not always, it depends on the nature of the group, but we typically do include that because the nature is a huge aspect of where you travel. Um, so it really is, unless it's a really niche focused trip, like just on food, it really is a well-rounded experience. And the reason why people book with us is because, um, they either are uh, kind of fearful to go to a certain location, think Egypt, think, you know, there are some places that a single woman or even a couple might not want to go to on their own. And also, they just haven't done the research themselves, and they want to go with someone, an organization that knows the place really well and can ensure they're not going to miss out on anything. Yeah, we so went to... Oh, yeah. sorry. I was going to say, we went to Cancun this year, and I've always felt safe overseas. Uh-huh. Like, I, you know, I served a mission in Hong Kong, so I've lived outside the country, and like, uh, you know, I've always felt safe. I don't speak great Spanish, but like, we were in Cancun, and we had been there the whole week. It went great. And then the last day we were in the hotel zone and we were getting ready to leave and the cartel blocked oh, the road. And they just, we had to walk. Like There's the McCarg family walking down the road with their suitcase. We literally <laughs> walked to the airport. 
Oh and like, goodness. that was the first time that I was like, hmm. And that's what you remember I, most about your trip. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously the food was great too, but like, I was like, the kids will never forget that one. Yeah. They'll never forget walking to the airport. Right. But like, that was the yeah. first time I was like, hmm, maybe I don't feel so safe outside yeah. the U.S. So like, I could totally see going to a country where like, I speak really terrible Spanish, but I can understand what's going on. Like when I talk to people, but like going to another country, I'd have no idea. So yeah. yeah, I could totally see the appeal. Language barriers. Yeah, for sure. Barriers. So it's for couples and for friends and roommates. I mean, really anyone. We get a lot of single travelers, a lot of couples joining trips, mm. a lot of family groups. So like parents with their children that want to go to Egypt or Ethiopia or Papua New Guinea, just, you know, places that you don't, and, and more common places too, Morocco, Peru, we do a lot of places, but um and yeah. how do you know these places, Kylie? Have you just done a lot of research? or? or so how? I've traveled to over 120 countries. So I'm nice. <laughs> there we I, go. I'm very passionate about this space. I love travel and adventure. So, um, yeah, and I didn't grow up traveling. That was all college to now. That's incredible. Fascinating. Yeah. So I'm really interested. You're in Bangladesh when COVID hits. Yes. And like... Were you afraid that you weren't going to make it back in the U.S.? Or like, what? I want to know what so, that experience was like personally. Yeah, and they shut everything down? on the business side. Yeah. Yeah, so it was interesting. Um, I was doing two trips back-to-back in Bhutan and Bangladesh. So I was actually in Bhutan when the first COVID case broke out in Bhutan. And if you've ever been to Bhutan or know about it, it's a very closed-off country. They have their own royal airline that goes in and out. It's the only airline. Um, everything is very regulated. You pay a certain amount to the government per day to be there. Beautiful, safe country, but very highly regulated. So where, where is it in relation to uh, geography? Bhutan is between India and China. Got it. Okay. It's a very small country between India and China. And um, so I, th- I thought we were not getting out when, but I was like, you know, this is a safe place to be. It's all nature. It's very rural. Like <laughs> we're going to be good. Like they, they, they like, they know what they're They're doing. Um, so we were able to get out, but it was interesting because I was hearing, you know, certain things from my team. I'm still doing team meetings back home. Um, you know, my family was telling me certain things, and it was kind of hard to believe that this was happening because when you're traveling in a very rural area and something is so far from you, um, it's hard to believe it. And I, this was a long trip, so I had left before COVID was a big thing. Like, I was gone for 30 days, and, you know, before COVID hit, and this hit, like, right towards the end. So that's a long time for things to escalate, right? Um, So I decided to continue the trip to Bangladesh with a few other people. The rest of the group went home, got home safely, luckily. And it was in Bangladesh that, you know, the World Health Organization declared it a global pandemic and all airlines began to shut down. All flights from Bangladesh to the U.S. are through India, and India immediately closed its border. So that was very stressful. I thought I would, at that point, I thought I was going to be stuck in Bangladesh and I was questioning my decision whether, if, you know, on deciding to continue there. This was more for fun. The tour group had left. We had taken care of them. But um, yeah, it took about three days to get out and the airports were empty. I went through probably seven airports to get home. It probably (laughs) felt like an apocalypse or something, right? And that's where, yeah, that's where it really hit me. I'm like, this is really, and like we had seen booking slow. We had seen significant revenue drop, concerns about the future trips, people trying to cancel, all sorts of things. And so we were just kind of managing it. But that was the point where I really realized, like, this is going to have a significant impact on my business and my my love of travel. 
Um, but at the time, to be honest, I thought it wasn't going to last that long. I think we all kind of felt like, okay, it'll be a couple months. So my whole philosophy was, let's just write it out. You know, I got home and we kind of started writing it out and I quickly realized that this could last a long time. And that's when I realized we needed to pivot and we needed to launch other revenue streams quickly. Smart. So that's how the other two companies came about. Wow. So then glamping, that was the next thing. How did you get yeah. into that? That's fascinating. Yeah. I was telling Jake a little bit earlier that before that, a lot of people don't know, we actually launched a product line. So we got into the product space, started a pretty successful company called The Adventure Dress. <coughs> and that was able to, uh, we, we were able to keep our whole team because we were able to essentially connect people with these artisan products around the world, bring the travel experience to them, and you know they could feel like they were having an impact on the world. So we did that in March, April, and May. And then in June, the national park started to reopen. And personally, I was like, yes, like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I've you know been stuck at home, haven't been able to do as much. So my husband and I started traveling to the national parks, and we went glamping. And I had been glamping all over the world and we, I've always loved being immersed in nature. And so when I was glamping in the national park, I kind of had this light bulb moment that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have. Like, oh my gosh, like this is where people need to be right now. I'm outside, like I feel so much happier. People need to experience this right now. And so- There's yeah, distance yeah. and there's no challenges with COVID. And you're outside and your house, you're, you're you know, in nature, a lot of positive effects of that. And it's travel. It's the space that, that I'm in. And so the idea was actually to launch a Canela glamping trips. So that's how the glamping part started. So we put together trips to Moab and Zion, because I'm from Utah, and we sold them out quickly. A lot of people were you know, transferring deposits. New people were booking. And um, they were probably feeling that need to get out and do yeah. something because they had been cooped up for, at this point, three or four months, right? Yeah, a while. And so it was really cool to see that. And then... Long story short, we weren't able to secure the glamping accommodations that I thought we were going to be. Because at this time, think about it, everybody's looking for outdoor accommodation. Hotels are, uh, all sorts of things are being you know, said. And so um, I was like, oh my gosh, we have all of these trips sold out and I can't fulfill them. And this is like, these are our only trips this year, maybe, you know, what is happening? And so being the crazy, That's probably a midnight founder moment right there where you're up at midnight thinking, oh, what are we going to do? So many, <laughs> so many all-nighters just like, just because you just can't sleep and there's so many ideas going. There's also stress and it can look so smooth from the outside, but oh my gosh, the first few glamping trips were horrible, like so <laughs> bad. I had some friends on them and I had to like apologize and like beg them to still be my friend after. Um, and they're still good friends now, so we fixed it. But um, yeah, they were bad because I really thought we could buy all the tents, we could build the bathrooms, we could partner with public land like BLM or private landowners, and we could just set up a glamping operation overnight, have people come and then literally move it in the day to another location for them to overnight there. It does not work that way. But I, one of the strengths that's also a weakness of mine, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are this way, is you have big dreams and like you truly believe you can do the impossible. <laughs> yes, but, we hear that a lot on the podcast. 
if we wouldn't have done those trips, which I can tell you all the ways they went wrong, I'm sure you can think right now of all the ways they went wrong, we went, the Wander Camp as it is now would not be here today. So I'm so grateful we went through those painful moments and those super awkward, hard conversations with customers that you know were there and things weren't going exactly right to get us to where we are today. And we've hosted many of those people at our camp as it is now, and it's been so cool for them to see how they were a big part of the growth and being on those first trips was, was super valuable for us. So, I love travel. I also love food. So like this really speaks to me. <laughs> so we are friends. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, cool. I also um, am really fascinated with how you've decided to kind of grow, mm-hmm. um, and you're a real estate company too. Yes, uh, obviously because you said I think that you own like seventy percent. Yeah, not all the locations, but eventually we will. Yes, you own seventy percent of the land that you're on, which is also really cool. Is that a lot of acres or what? Yes, it's raw ground, right? Yeah, I think we own six hundred something acres, not all in one location, but yeah. They're also a development company because they have to go through the entitlement process with counties and cities. And we love permitting. I bet you do. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of they make it so easy, don't they? Oh yes. I used to be. We don't do all of that. We have to hire people to help us. That's a tough space. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, So, how are you picking like? As, as you're looking at new sites and, and deciding, is it just like, hey, I've always wanted to go to <laughs> Estes Park in Colorado. So let's just put one outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. I'll tell you how I approach it today is a night and day difference with how I approached it in the beginning because I knew nothing in the beginning. My husband and I had invested in real estate, um, residential real estate, just as personal investments. Um, and... Single family of, homes or something? Or yeah, duplexes mostly or? like condos and townhomes. Mm-hmm. We were, our, our whole goal was just to save enough from our jobs that we could buy a place a year. So we, st- we did that from the time we were married until now we buy land. So it's a little different, but it was so good for us to have that experience behind our belt, for me to have that experience behind my belt. And um, now my husband actually helps with the company. He left world and I should have him here. Um, he's the CEO of Wondercamp and he's really good at it. But What's his name? Andrew. Andrew, Andrew cool. Chen. Yeah. From Hong Kong. So we need a oh, talk. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so what were we talking about? Wondercamp. Why, where, How you why changed land? the way you approach it now versus Yeah. So before. we leased in the beginning because there's no way with this brand new operation, we're just going to go out and buy land. We had right. no idea what we were doing. Um, but as we were moving the camps, we quickly realized it is a lot of work to move the camps. We need to have physical permanent locations for them. I thought, if you own the land, you can do whatever you want with the land. So <laughs> I thought all we had to do was get landowners to sign a contract with us so it was official and we could set up our tents. And we did that in Yellowstone. Nope. Didn't talk to the county. Didn't know the permitting. <laughs> um, we were only up for a month. Jake can see what's happening here. I just yeah. love it. Yeah. We're only up for a month towards the end of the season, so we kind of snuck by. Um, but we quickly learned that that's not how it goes. And to actually, uh, you have to get permission from the county or city, whatever boundaries that you're in, to do something like this. So Did people um, turn you in or something? Is that what started happening or what? Um, so, yes. Yes. Long story short. We have had a lot of letters written to us. Uh, Not fan mail. Not fan mail. The other kind of letters. Cease and desist. Yeah, we've had cease and desist letters. Um, Those keep you up till midnight, Um, especially the first one when you've never received one before. Um, Competitors, neighbors, um, usually those are the people that are going to turn you in. Um, 
And it's very common is what I learned in this industry. It is very common and we were just not prepared. Um, but it was good for us to receive those because we approached over time, we, uh, we, we I want to say perfected our process, but it's not perfect. Um, and, you know, we're able to follow all the guidelines. But essentially we did that in Yellowstone and then we were up in Moab and we were up in Zion at this time too on private land and we quickly got those shut down by the counties. And we were like, oh my gosh, they're so successful. Like people love it. Why are they shutting us down? And then we went, started going through the process and those are two locations that we're actually, um, we're still working on finalizing our permits of, of all places, Utah. So Grand Canyon was our first location where we bought land and we officially got a permit. Um, and it was a long process and it was difficult, but it was so worth it. And um, we were leasing land there in the beginning. And every location, to your point, we always lease the land before we buy because we need data. And we can go analyze other operations and do all of that. But um, So it's kind of a try it before you buy mm -hmm. it kind of thing. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. And our, our goal going into it was just to lease land. But then we realized we were paying so much per month because the owners realized how profitable this type of business is, that they wanted more and more. And we're like, yo, we can go buy an acre of land. But the problem is you can't just have an acre of land to operate something like this. Counties usually require you to have 40 to 80 acres, even if you only have 20 or 40 tents, because they want a sound barrier. They want a neighbor barrier. And so all these things. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, we still have locations. Like we bought land in Zion three years ago, and we still don't have our permit. Just empty. So it just, sits, it just there. sits there. Wow. Hmm. But we didn't know. We bought that land before we got the permit. Now we are much smarter. We never buy land without the permit. That is a part of the due diligence process. Yeah. Those are tough inventory lessons to learn. Like with a product company, you like, it's a smaller investment, right? You just offload. You like flash sell all the inventory that you bought too early. And like these ones, you just have to kind of sit on it until you figure it out. That's tough. Yeah. And sometimes like if it's the perfect piece of land, often a landowner is not going to wait two years or a year for right. you to get your permits. You kind of got to just hope that the land value is not going to go down, buy it. And worst case, you can sell it later and 1031 it into something else. So you don't get taxed. But there are like, there are ways that buying land can be safe and you, you know you're making money going into it but it's it's scary for a lot of people a lot of people are like oh my gosh you do that like i told yeah, you but yeah. you just get used to it you get you, adverse to the risk i don't know that's amazing i mean do you and i'm thinking you're just buying all this land you know and here it's very hard to buy any land because it's so expensive right because it's all developed but there it's more rural, rural and it's undeveloped but don't you have to have utilities and yes some things piped into the property or so even if your land's only ten thousand an acre yeah. where the costs add up is you need to buy 80 acres and it's raw land so you need to put in a septic you need to put in a well they require um in the glamping industry they've really cracked down on permits because it's a booming industry right now um you know you have to have county roads approved roads you pay the cost to put the road in but it has to be to county standards and you have to maintain it because you are the commercial operator so roads are a huge expense of ours, actually more. It's the biggest development expense for us is roads because we're low-impact development. We're not building a lot of structures. The idea is we're really preserving the land um, and preserving that nature. So it's mostly just your utilities. Um, and we, can use, we leverage solar a lot. We don't always have to pull power, and we try not to. Mm. Yeah, they try and be really low-impact, I understand, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Interesting. So and those cool. are the people that want to come stay with us, so they don't mind, you you know, low water flow. They don't mind, you know, solar power. Those types of things. They know so it's gonna be more rural. Marketing. Yeah. yeah, they want the nature. They want the wildlife. I I should have looked at the website before I came, <laughs> but I didn't. Are are the tents? Are they like? Dome tents or cloth tents or how, what do they look yeah, like? Yeah, so they're canvas bell tents. So we are more of a mid to low tier market product. So our, for example, we don't have bathrooms inside the tent. We have a central bathroom facility, um, a central dining facility. We actually have food trucks on most of our locations. And then the tents are kind of spread around close enough to each other that people don't feel like they're going to you know, something's going to happen to them, but far enough away that it feels like you're in nature. Um, and we're priced really well. So we're usually one of the more affordable options if you're comparing us to a hotel. Obviously, we're more expensive than bring your own tent and book a camping site. But the idea is people don't have to do that. And they have beds and furniture and bathrooms, even though you might have to walk to them. So that's our that's our market niche. That's cool. Mm. Camping plus. Sometimes it's like we what we like to call it. It's glamping, but yeah. Okay, so uh, you have seven locations. Yes. Where's your favorite one? Glacier. You know that. <laughs> we, we've already <laughs> talked about it. Yeah. So she grew up in northern Idaho. Yeah. Uh, so that's, so it's like home to you. Love the mountains. I love living in Utah. Summers here are so hot, <laughs> even northern Utah. So I love the lakes and the mountains and. You know, it's just so beautiful in the wildlife and the pine trees and the birds. And our property there is just gorgeous. There's a lake on the property and it's kind of more like a pond, but it looks like a lake and you can canoe in it and the mountain views. So it's just, if I could move that property to Utah, it'd be my dream, but I can't. <laughs> so if, if somebody was going to go on one and that that's where they should go is Glacier. Yes. Glacier is a short season. So you have to time it well. It really is July, June, July, August, September. Um, but it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime bucket list destination. You definitely need to go there. That's Southern cool. Utah, kind of all the parks, is a close second because you can visit so many yeah. on one trip, and it really is like you're in Mars. Where's lab. the Southern Utah one? So um, we have Canyonlands, Bryce Canyon. Um, we're... Fingers crossed in the process of reopening Moab this year. Awesome. You can't book it right now, but things are moving towards that. And then we we had a Zion, then we didn't have a Zion. Then we had Permitting. a South, Yeah, we had a South Zion near Hildell. Didn't do as well as we wanted, and so we decided not to reopen it this year. Wait, just a second. Is that um I may have heard of that one. Is that the one just up the canyon from Hildell that had it no. was tense and it was kind of a it was glamping for sure, but I, I don't yes. think it was the t the style you said. It was different. It was like they yurts or something. Hildell, um, they have bell tents. So Hildell has uh, has another glamping operation there already, which I think was another reason why it was hard for us to go in there. Beautiful views down there, but it is kind of far from Zion. And our like our product really is within 30 minutes of the national park, a great nature experience, low cost. That really is our model. And so it just didn't quite fit. And we had to make the decision that it's better for us to focus on other locations. I'm really growth minded. So I'd like to have 50 locations this year, but it's better to have, you know, six or seven really good ones than 50, like half operating ones. It's what my operating partner tells me. Is that your husband? It's my husband now. Yeah. yeah. So he, so is he more. <laughs> so I have to listen now. Is he yeah. more risk averse? Like. He, we are a 
a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, working together with your spouse and we had kind of done it together a little bit with a Canella. He has a background in consulting. So he had helped like as a consultant and it can be really hard to work with your spouse because you have different viewpoints and it's hard to know how to talk about those as business partners when you're married to each other. Um, but we, it works out so well for us because we are so different. I'm very growth minded marketing sales. Where are we going next? And he very much is an operator. Yeah, I'd say he's less, he's more risk adverse, but he's just a lot more methodical, methodical and, just and like, like, let's do it right. Yeah. Let's get our process oriented. Let's get our team in place. Let's, yeah. op, you know, let's get good managers. So we're not always having to go to these camps. Like year one, we had to go to the camps a lot because things would happen. So yeah, we, we always kind of battle between slow growth and fast growth. Cause I think there's pros and cons to both. That's a good mix. And we don't take a franchise model. So it is, we've thought about it, but it's, you know, you have to be really careful with your growth. That's a good mix. Yeah. I love that. What advice do you have for other husband, wife duos or, <laughs> um, you know, partner duos that, uh, how do you balance those relationships? And one thing that has really helped us is setting boundaries. I think that's a really simple one, but it's so easy to wake up in the morning and have your board meeting in your bed. Like, okay, we're going to talk about this. And you just, you can't do that. You have to create space and time to talk about certain things. And so we've even, um, things that have helped us is we'll say like, hey, partner. And that kind of um, signifies that we want to talk about something business or we'll set in advance like, hey, we're going to go to this dinner and we're going to talk strategy. It's not going to be a date night. Still might be a date night, but we're going to talk about business. So I think setting those boundaries, and for us it's unique because we don't go to a traditional office. I think when you go to a traditional office with like a team, maybe it can be a little bit easier because you kind of have to be more professional, but most of our team is in the field. We're mm. working remote because it doesn't make sense for us to be in an office when it's much more efficient for us to be at these different camps and we enjoy it more. So we have to really be on top of setting boundaries and the other big piece of advice I would say is delegate responsibilities and let go. Like I'm not the COO. I don't run the operations. I have to trust that Andrew is going to make the best decisions and I can question things and I can offer my viewpoint, but that is his space and I'm going to work in my space. And that's really helped us to trust each other more, argue less, and has helped the business like as a whole. That's awesome. I <clears throat> what fascinates me about this entire journey is is your customer base, right? I mean, they saw you when you were still trying to figure things out and a lot of missteps, and now they see you in today's light. So, what would you tell your customers uh -huh. um, on you know on air about that experience and maybe your appreciation to them or something? Because that's a really loyal customer base. Yes, I mean all those. From the beginning, I mean, a lot of the people that traveled on a Canela trips with us support us on Wander Camp. They come to our camps. So it's just really cool to have a community of people that are really invested in what you do and really enjoy it and share it with you. We get a lot of people tagging us on social media, like, consistently, and it's so cool, um, especially those people who were, who were at our very first Wander Camp tours. I mean. Bless them. Uh, bless them. Like, I, I'm so grateful for those that have been able to like come and experience Wander Camp. We've invited a lot of them back, and it's just really cool to, you know, I just hope they feel like we are indebted to them, really, because they really were that first market test, 
and it was very hot in Moab in July, <laughs> you know, and um, we didn't have a lot of things figured out. So I think businesses really need to be appreciative of their customers because there's no business without people that love what you do. So very cool. Yeah. Wow. What a ride. That yeah. sounds like what it. an adventure. So you, when did you start uh, Akinella? Um, we did our first trip to India in December of 2015. Wow. Very first trip. Very bad destination to do a first trip, by the way. Almost do not recommend years. that if you're starting a travel <laughs> company. choose Do some market testing first, but I just wanted to go to India. Where's your favorite overseas location? Uh, I have favorites that I would always go back to, like Morocco, Peru, um, Portugal, Iceland. And then I have favorites because they're just so exotic and like once in a lifetime, Papua New Guinea, Ethiopia, Antarctica. The world is cool. That's no matter where you can go. Glacier. I would put Glacier up there. And it's so close to us. Everybody needs to go there. Huh. Yeah. That's incredible. You've been so many places. That's, <laughs> I'm really jealous. Uh, yeah, fascinating. that's fascinating. I love Fine. that you talked about how, like, in the beginning, it was like you were doing these locations based on, like, where you wanted to go. And you're your target market, right? So that yeah. there is some validity to that. Yeah. But now it's getting way more strategic. So I think just the balance of, like, your personal... Uh, wants and also like balancing that with like the data of where, you know, where the business needs to grow. That's really fascinating. I think it's a fine line. We don't have investors, so we can approach things a little differently. But for us, it's very much. And the fun thing about business is you learn over time and you make better decisions. Like I didn't know how to analyze a market when I first started. I didn't know how to pull competitive data. I didn't know how to do any of that. I didn't know you needed to do any of that. So it's been a really cool journey to see how I approach things in 2015 to how I approach them now. But for us, my husband and I and our whole team, it really is also a focus on what makes us happy. Like at the end of the day, we don't want to slave away and build a massive business if it means we're going to hate our lives and not love what we're doing. So for us, it very much is a let's set goals, let's grow, let's hit revenue numbers, but let's also have this gut check. Are we happy? Are we doing the things that we enjoy? Because at the end of the day, you don't take any money with you. <laughs> you take your experiences, right? And that's a really big um, like life motto for me. I love that. I think that's great advice for anyone, entrepreneur or not, right? Yeah. Love what you do. And I mean, the adage is true where, you know, if you love what you do so much, you don't work a day in your life. Yeah. And it seems like you live that and yeah. embody that. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is just the challenge in and of itself is so fulfilling and it's an adventure. And no matter what business you're building, those ups and downs you go through, the, the many midnights you don't sleep, um, you want to balance it with health, obviously, but you learn so much through that. So many life lessons. It's invaluable, in my opinion. Yeah. I <clears throat> personally, I have a um, huge respect for what you've built. Um, way back in, um, in a different time of my career, <laughs> I worked for uh, a company here, actually local. Um, and we were in the oil and gas industry and we built oh, wow. what they would call man camps. I don't know if you're familiar with oh. those, yeah. but those are large facilities that they would build up in the oil fields to house, you know, the, the, the men and women that would work there on their drill rigs right oh. there. And they would have to build them close to these sites because they didn't want them traveling for hours and hours and then working 12 hour days and yeah. they would have fatalities on the road and things of that nature. So 
you know, they would spend, for example, our camp out in um, the middle of nowhere near Elko, Nevada was a $30 million yeah. camp, you know, because you have to wow. build it in the middle of nowhere, right? And so you have to bring in utilities and permitting and, and their double-story modular dorms with big mess halls and, you know, oh indoor God. indoor golf facilities and all this stuff, right? And um, it is a really um, fascinating business because the, the, the economics compound very quickly, when you're charging per person per day, you know, and they've got, you know, all those amenities and the food and, and the comfortable bed and all the, you know, the, the, um, the room and the service and everything. But, um, glamping is just kind of another version of that model. And, um, as I got into the industry and had no idea what I was doing, I learned <laughs> so much and there's so much to putting together these kind of facilities, yeah. right? Whether it's glamping or, or man camps or whatever. So I, yeah. I respect that because it is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, so well that done. sounds very intense. <laughs> different industry, uh, similar. Different industry. Different, so I'm yeah, like, Whoa. a lot of similarities, <laughs> but um, I can see why um, you've grown so quickly because the economics can be very, very good with yeah. those things. It is a business that, if done right and strategically and smartly, um, we haven't needed to take on investment. Given we did have a a Canela that did invest quite a bit initially to get us off the ground. Um, but nobody was traveling international. So we, you know, it wasn't a hard decision to make at that time. So is it just you and your husband right now? Um, we, we, we have a team of about 80 on Wander Camp. Um, but as far as like corporate structure goes, um, we have great managers, but yeah, like pretty much right now it's, I kind of do marketing and sales and Andrew does operations, um, Operations is like the majority of the business. So you I'm just gonna like say sweep everything back into operations. Operations. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, there. <laughs> you know, we is this sales or marketing? That. It's not. Okay, well, it's operations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a heavy. It's, it's so much operations. So yeah. that's where we've been focused on hiring people the most. Um, so we've great. done it more so at a camp level. So really looking for good managers. It's an interesting business, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the experience is key, right? Like, so if you don't have a good manager in, yeah. in a location, it, you know, it could be really brutal. So I, yeah. I'm sure, like, letting that part of the business go was really tough. Um, you yeah. had to do it right because you can't manage seven. But. Yeah, and what we realized is if, if we want to get to our goal of, you know, I'm just putting 50 out there. It's not, like, really a goal. Our goal was actually 10 in five years. So we're going into our third season. We absolutely could hit that. Um, we, it's, you can never focus on new locations in a seasonal business where you have to set up every single year, unless you have that setup process automated. And there are a lot of things that we've done well and a lot of things we haven't done well in that, that we're doing differently now. For example, we're looking at putting year round structures, some, some things so we can keep our team hired. Most of our team hired year round because that will make it less seasonal. So there are like little things that we've learned, bringing laundry on site, doing a lot of different things where we can really have our own like self-sustaining staining location and be able to keep people there year round. And that will allow us to, you know, not have as much turnover. We're actually very lucky with turnover. We get a lot of people that come back, you know, kudos to Andrew because he's set up a really great system. They I probably love the lifestyle just like that. you. Oh yeah. That's yeah. cool. That would have been my dream job as a college kid yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And we do get a lot of college kids, which eventually, you know, those are the ones that turn over, but it's a great gig for them a couple summers and cool. 
So, you know. <laughs> Kylie, what, um, I mean, getting stuck in Bangladesh yeah. <laughs> for COVID is a pretty cool story. But yeah. tell me or tell us, what's the, what's the craziest thing oh. that has happened to you in this journey? Something that people are like, no way. I think I'm like desensitized to crazy because just so I feel like things happen. Because it happens all the time. <laughs> I mean, just like we, we've had like camps literally shut down overnight in the early days where we had code enforcement officers come out. We actually had a permit and they were like, sorry, you can't operate. Like you aren't doing this right. And um, that was really crazy because we had to cancel literally thousands of guests um, over the course of the next, you know, few weeks or month. So that's happened. And I think you just never envision that will happen. You, you own the land, you have the permit, everything's going well. You just, you don't envision those things happening. Right. But what we've learned, and also I think the reason why we've been able to kind of, I used to be one with my businesses. If something happened to the business, like, ah, but I've really stepped away from that because anything can happen especially in a space that's like heavily government regulated. Um, and so that's pretty crazy. But I've been, I've been stuck at a lot of borders. I got stuck. Um, uh, I was leaving Malawi, Africa, into Zambia. And I, they stamped my passport. And I was, when I was coming back in, the whole group had gone before me. And I'm the last one. And they detained me and were like, sorry, we can't stamp your passport. You know, when you left, we stamped the last page. We can't. Like, we can't stamp before that. We have, you know, they're making stuff up. We, we have to stamp after. I'm like, I have four empty pages. And I I thought I was going to have to stay overnight, like, on the side of the street in Malawi, which is not a great place to be staying. And, you know, so there's been some, like, very stressful moments. But I think through it, I've learned that there's always a solution and there's always a way out. And you really just have to keep your calm and... Um, you know, sometimes you have to pray really hard. I believe in the power of prayer. I really believe that's what saved me that day. Um, but I've been also been really lucky because I've, I've, especially with travel, I've, um, I've learned a lot of street smarts. And in traveling with groups, I was not, that was not a group I was leading. I was backpacking that. <laughs> so it was early travel days. Um, you are a lot more careful and you're a lot more aware and you're with guides and people that know what they're doing. So, Yeah. I've been wow. pretty lucky, but there's stories. <laughs> I bet you'll have stories to tell <laughs> for the ages. Yeah. Right? That's great. So what's next for Wander Camp? Next for Wander Camp. Um, well, we're excited about a couple new prospective locations. I mentioned opening, reopening one in southern or in, somewhere in southern Utah, hopefully. Um, we're actually um, piloting a A-frame cabin model that we will deploy throughout all of our locations where we own the land that will be low impact but year-round so allow for year-round revenue and also year-round employment for our managers and team which is huge for us so that's going to be a big development move and a huge permitting feat <laughs> that we are working on right now um seems like you need some really high up friends in the government yeah, institutions to make these things go through quicker for you we spend a lot of time in the county courtrooms and offices just meeting people and yeah right. it's it's interesting um i never thought i would get want to get into government like reform or, or politics or anything but having had this experience with wander camp it's definitely opened doors where i could see myself in some way in that space later because there's so much need well, that's a cool learning about yourself yeah, and I've never been interested in that until this, so that's been really cool. But yeah, those are the biggest, I'd say, for Wander Camp. Um, we have 
dozens of locations in the pipeline where we are looking up purchasing or leasing land and starting on the permits, but I can't really say anything for a couple of years. That's how long it takes, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's only so many national parks in the U.S., and that is our market, so you, you can, can start brainstorm the, list. That's right. <laughs> the most visited Process national parks. Right? Andrew's <laughs> going to listen to this podcast, and she's like, we're going to have 50 locations, and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he, won't, he will not agree with that. <laughs> Even the 10 in five years, I get a little pushback. We'll have Andrew Here's on the, the visionary, podcast later. And he's the operator. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he has a... Yeah, it's good. You have to have both. You, you really do. It's a great mix. Kylie, where do people find more about water camps and you and what, what's your contact information? Um, so websites, we have thewandercamp.com. Working on getting the water camp, just water camp. Um, Akinella is just akinella.com. Um, Instagram is probably our most active social platform. I know a lot of people are on that. So my Instagram handle, you can find me under Kylie Chen or at Kai Trisha. Trisha is my middle name. I need to change that, but all of the Kylie Chen handles are used and nobody will respond to me, so I can't change it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, an email. I don't know if I can give my, my uh, email. Whatever you're comfortable with. Kylie, sure. K-Y-L-I-E, at Akanella, A-C-A-N-E-L-A dot com is my direct email. And I'm, I, I love hearing from people that have listened to podcasts or are just you know excited about adventure as much as I am. So really reach out to me. Can awesome. we just go to WanderCamp to... Wandercamp.com yeah. to book yes. the, the Wandercamp. The yes. Wandercamp. The Wandercamp. And we're also on like all major booking platforms Booking.com, Expedia, Airbnb. Those are the three big ones. So cool. People find us there too. Yeah. Google. Thanks for being on the show, Kylie. This yeah. has been so fun to get to know you. Thanks for having me. Super fun. Shout out to our producer, Dalton Carson. Killed it and crushed it as usual today. Thank you so much, Dalton. And uh, we appreciate being on the podcast. Good luck with everything. Thank you. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.